Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Launch University Podcast. Jeff Henderson with you, Kevin Jennings. And uh, we got kind of three ways of uh, locations here. So Atlanta, Kevin, you're in Nashville, that right? I am. And how are things in Nashville, by the way? Hot. Incredibly hot. <laughs> I, I really thought we had fall coming and I was wrong. And not only that, construction is just amazing in Nashville. Y'all are just building left and right up there. Baby New York. That's what we're calling ourselves <laughs> down here. <laughs> speaking, speaking of New York, Scott Harrison's with us. Scott, are you in New York today? I'm in New York City. You might hear some sirens in a minute. It's been a, it's been a particularly loud day in the office. For wow. Well, Scott, we are thrilled and honored that you're here. And uh, you have just an incredible story. You've come out with a brand new book called Thirst, and it's about the Charity Water story. And uh, for our launch community, as you know, we want to take good ideas, turn them into reality, and sustain them. And there really isn't a better story of doing just that than what Scott's doing with Charity Water. And Scott, we, we want to talk about the book. We want to talk about how we can support the book. But one of the things we'd love to talk about is just not only have, did you have a great idea, and not only did you turn it into reality, but you have sustained it. And we really want to lean into some of the things that you've done to sustain this over the number of years. You've uh, obviously you're a nonprofit, so you've had to become an expert in, in fundraising. But as you look back on the years from when you first started, and it's a amazing story that you detail in your book. What are some things that have allowed you to get where you are today in terms of actually sustaining a really good idea? Oh my gosh. It feels like there's so many, <laughs> so many things that you got to do yeah. well, or, or maybe so many things that if you don't do well can, can derail you. Um, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is just culture, uh, getting really clear about the culture that you're trying to create, uh, getting clear about your values, the, the the kinds of people you know that you want on the bus, that that you want by your side, and it actually took us a few years to do that. We were a little late in getting clear about that, and the, the way that we've done it at Charity Water, you know, we have our values, we have our six values, and you know they they might be similar to. Um, to others, you know, there's excellence, there's generosity, there's integrity, uh, respect, but the isms are probably a little more interesting. And, and there are about 18 uh, isms of Charity Water, which which just means you know that you're a part of our culture. You're you know that you are living out our values if these things are happening, and they range from you know a zero tolerance for for profanity. They range to you know a culture where you know. There's no white lies where we don't pirate software, where we license all of our music. You know, they can be these little minutiae ideas or, or, or just cultural thoughts that then tie back to the values. So that's really, really helped us maintain this, you know, what I think is an amazing culture 12 years later. Just to give you an example of that, we were, we were recently named uh, one of Inc. Magazine's best places to work in the country. And they, they, ran a headline that said, why over a thousand people applied to be the receptionist at this nonprofit? And I think the number was 1,400 people applied to, you know, answer the phones at your Wow. Um, we recently posted a uh, position for a designer and 450 designers applied. Um, and, and I think that has to do with both culture, but also the value of excellence in our design and our branding and our creativity that, you know, 12 years later, 
um, people know that um, that we really care about design and we we care about branding. And you know, we were able to we we wound up actually hiring two of the four hundred and some candidates because the talent was just so great. Um, so that's one I think is is being clear about your culture, having a vision for your culture. Um, I don't like the word protecting your culture, but really uh, making sure that that everybody is on the same page about the kinds of people you hire. A, a friend of mine, Seth Godin, says, uh, "People like us." He just you know, he says, "People like us." So, who are the people like you? What yeah. what does he, what do you want the place to feel like? Um, and that goes all the way you know down even to the way that we've designed our space. So, we we have an amazing headquarters in New York, and there are ten foot light boxes of images of the people we're serving around the world. There are 20 TVs on the wall that have all been donated by Samsung with KPIs and with maps and with you know, dynamic facts and images. But the whole office is glass because transparency is another one of our values. You know, there's, there's one spot uh, in the maternity room, you know, that, that is, is kind of has a, has a locked door. <laughs> but, you know, that was all of these things were really intentional. They're, they were all intentional decisions that we made. I think when it comes to fundraising, you know, it's interesting, you know, Jeff, we've talked about this uh, before. You know, we had developed a culture or a business model, I guess, of one-time donations and one-time fundraising campaigns for the first right. years. And, and we did that pretty well. We raised a quarter of a billion dollars. So it was, you know, it was, it was real money to help uh, you know, six or seven million people at that time. But what we realized was it actually was not a sustainable model. And you know, we had a year where people very generously contributed $45 million over the calendar year. But then January 1, that ticker rolled back to zero. You know, that thermometer, right, of the, that, yeah. that, that ticked up to a million people with clean water and $45 million in donations. We had to start all over. And I remember just looking at my team saying, oh my gosh, I mean, how did we even do that? How would we ever do that again? I, I, let alone grow from right. that. And, and, and what was interesting, and I write about this in the book, we didn't that year. So we had eight years of lights out, unbelievable growth. I mean, scale, you know, it was just, the graph was just up and to the right. And the hundred percent model was resonating with people, the proof, the technology, the brand, it just all seemed to, to be this right package at the right time. And then the right issue, you know, everybody can agree on clean drinking water for humans. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the few things that everybody can agree to agree on. So we had never known anything except, you know, doubling the year before or sometimes tripling the year before or growing, you know, 50%. And when we had our first down year, we realized we'd actually built the wrong thing. We mm -hmm. had built a donation revenue model that was not sustainable. And a lot of people, you know, anybody familiar with us, listening might know that we, we've done this stuff for, with the birthdays. We ask people to donate their birthdays and ask right. for their age in dollars. And you know, that, that birthday movement and other fundraising campaigns have raised over 50 or six, probably $60 million now. Uh, but the problem was people only did one birthday. So we would have to just keep finding new people. <laughs> and, and, and it was really disappointing because they were passionate about us. They loved, they would have these successful campaigns, but you don't ask people for two birthdays in a row for the same cause. Yeah. So long, long way of saying we wound up pivoting the entire organization at 10 years to a subscription model. 
So we, we looked around at the sector and said, what are the businesses that we respect? Um, who's crushing it? And you know who was crushing it was Netflix and Spotify with 80 or 90 million subscribers and Dropbox and HBO. And, and we said, well, what if we could build that business in, in decade number two? Um, and create a, an innovative subscription program where 100% of the monthly donations went straight to help people get clean water and we could prove where the money went and we could show stories of impact and build this community. Mm-hmm. So we pivoted at 10 years and that's now driving growth again, 40% growth last year. Um, year to date, uh, we're up at another 40%. And uh, the subscription program now has people from over 100 countries that are showing up month in and month out. That's amazing. And you, I mean, you just, there's so many things I I love about what you're doing, Scott, but you said we pivoted at year 10. You just, you're not acting like, and I I say this with, as a nonprofit leader myself, so I'm not disrespecting any nonprofit, but you don't really act like a nonprofit leader. And I say that with all due respect, I, you, you, in the way you value design, the way you value culture and the fact that you were willing to pivot from uh, a fundraising model that actually was bringing millions of dollars in, but it just wasn't a sustainable model. That that's just extraordinary. What what's do you have a board of directors around you? How, who's given you all this incredible wisdom to do all this? Well, I think we. I don't really know any other nonprofits, Jeff. I mean, we just don't we, we don't hang out with other nonprofits, and yeah. that's just um, you know we're we're in New York City and and you know, we spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley. So, so we're hanging out with the Spotify's, the Apple's, the Tesla's, the Uber's, the Lyft's, you know, these are, these are where our donors are coming from. You know, a lot of young tech entrepreneurs, a lot of software engineers and designers and Mm -hmm. people working at these firms. So in, in some ways we get some insights, you know, when, when I was talking about subscription, I went to go visit Jack Dorsey at Square. And I, I pitched him the idea and said, well, what do you think we get people to continue to give? And what's our product here? And so we, we've had access, I think, to some of the great minds of Silicon Valley. Right. Because we behave like one of them. We behave like a Twitter or a Google or a Facebook, mm-hmm. not like their parents' charity or their grandparents' charity. Yep. You know, Charity Water's never, we've never done direct mail in, in 12 years. You know, we've raised 320 million bucks now without send, ever sending a piece in the mail asking people to write a check. Hmm. We just we saw 12 years ago that that would round down to zero. So let's just never get in that business. You know, let's build a digital, not a digital first organization, let's build a digital only organization. That's amazing. Well, I have a follow-up for you, uh, Scott, because you said a couple of things that hit me. You said, hey, it's, we documented our values. We got really clear on culture. And you get really clear multiple times. And, you, and, and so I'll be curious for anybody who's listening. I mean, obviously, you know, when you first started, you didn't have, you know, a staff the way you do today. And you didn't have 450 designers competing for one role. How soon for anyone who's listening should they document their values? I think a lot of people think, well, I'm by myself. Right, or I'm just getting started. It's just me and an assistant, you know, or or me and you know some virtual, some freelancers on Upwork. So my question is, how soon should people document their values and their mission to get start to start to cultivate a culture? At the very beginning, you you do it as the founder. You do it with your co-founder if there are two of you. You do it with your first employee. Uh, we did it in you know year three or four, and it was three or four years too late. And we did it because we hired a couple people who actually didn't align with our values. But because we had not written down our values, there was, there was almost no way of holding them accountable to those values. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, your, your values, your, your culture moments, you know, I love this idea of isms because they're just these specific things. I mean, you could say an ism could be that everybody's desks are neat and there's no clutter. Right. And you could tie that to a value of, of excellence. Right. And, and you get to, as the founders, the, the creators, the entrepreneur, you get to care about the things that are most important to you, to the culture you want to create, to, to what the place feels like. Um, I mean, I've got friends running successful businesses that shut down the office for Fridays every summer. No one is allowed to be on Slack. No one's allowed to be on email. And that is important to them to create family time, to create connections with kids. You get to decide that, right? There are companies that are closed on Sundays. You know, they, they probably started very early on and said, we are going to be a company that just doesn't sell things on Sunday due to our beliefs. So I think whatever your values are, uh, it's a, you know, if, if you're, it's, it's already too late if you haven't done it, you know, yeah. even if you're three or four employees and it was too late for us. So, so that, so with that being said, considering how you stress culture, you also said, Hey, I don't like the word protect culture. So I'm curious as to considering your passion and your experience and, you know, really just, I mean, clearly your, your belief in the power of culture, what, have you experienced that makes you kind of be off put by the word protect? It just sounds defensive to me. You know, mm. I, I, I think I'd like, I look at it a little more as a dynamic organism that's improving. Yeah. Mm. So I would rather use the word improve culture, add the next suggestion, you know, cause that your, your values and your isms can be the beauty of isms. You could have 40 of them. You could just say, Hey, this thing, I'll actually give you an example. Um, it was our fifth anniversary and we threw a party uh, very similar to, to how Charity Water started. Charity Water started with a party where 700 people came. They tossed 20 bu- bucks in a bucket. We raised $15,000 that night, and we did our first few projects. And then we sent the photos and the GPS and the satellite images of those projects back to the 700 people. And that was kind of day one. So five years into it, we said, hey, let's go back to where it started. Let's throw another party for staff and for our friends and supporters, and let's charge 30 bucks at the door for our fifth anniversary. And I, I remember, you know, telling staff, I said, you know, and of course we're all going to pay, you know, so everybody's going to pay. I mean, there are no comps that night because $30. Well, there was grumbling amongst the staff and why do we have to pay? We work at the charity and I just about lost it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to fire everybody. I mean, I was so beside myself, you know, what have I done? What have I created? You know, like people don't want to pay $30. Like that gives someone clean water. And, and I had a a mentor at the time who said, well, did you tell them this is what you expect? Did you tell them that you also expected them to give money to the charity? And I'm like, no, it should be a given. He said, no, you have to make it explicit. So we actually now have an ism that when you work at Charity Water, you will be asked at times to not just give your time, not just to give your talent, but also to give your money. And you can self-select out of that in the interview process, right? You don't have to. You could say, hey, no, um, I'm not going to give 30 bucks. And this happens all the time. There are campaigns uh, our supporters where we actually want to support and we will call our staff and say, Hey, it'd be great if we all jumped in and got behind this campaign, you know, let's hit them with 80 donations. So you don't have the right to hold people accountable to an unclear standard. So I was actually wrong 
Um, now, you know, if I threw the same party and people were grumbling about giving a $30 donation, you know, I'd go back to the values and say, hey, you signed up for this. Do you remember? We, we talked about this. Yeah. That, that this is the behavior um, that we expect. And, you know, another one is interesting. It's, you know, Charity Water is not a religious organization. We never have been. And we're hiring people out of Google. We're hiring people out of Adobe, out of Zynga, out of Facebook. I mean, people are leaving Uber. And one thing that's really important to me is having a culture where there's no profanity ever in the office. We have kids coming through. We have people of, of, uh, of Christian faith. We have people of other faiths. You know, why would, why would we ever give a donor a reason to say no, you know, cause they're walking by somebody's desk and they hear the F bomb dropped. Yeah. Why would we ever possibly offend someone? So, you know, that, that rubs some people the wrong way. I'm like, well, you just don't have to work here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's, that's, you get to self-select out. So having that up front in the interview process, I'm, I'm not judging you. You know, if you feel like that's a violation of your free speech, then this just isn't the right place for you. This isn't the right culture, but this is who we are. And this is what we believe. And we believe that that ties to a value of respect right? And, and that that could actually be seen as disrespectful language to a bunch of people. So, you know, it's been fun over the years to see people come in and like, okay, um, I get it, but, you know, I'm going to slip up a lot because that is not the culture that I've come from. And people over the years have said, you know, this rubbed me the wrong way on the way in, but it's, it's amazing what a safe space the office feels like. You know, you've made me a better parent. You know, I stopped swearing around my kids. So I, I just think culture is so important. And the beauty is, as an entrepreneur, you get to decide and people don't need to agree with you. You know, if, if people want to go work on a Sunday and your business is closed on a Sunday, well, then they're going to go work somewhere else. Yeah. Very good. And as you're doing that, you're really defining out who you are and, and letting them know who you are. And I, I love that. Scott, your book is a very personal book. And, and the reason I bring that up is it's really, it, it, Charity Water is is really in many ways a reflection of kind of your story. And you let us in on your story. The book begins with you experiencing some health issues and you kind of tell us why you're having those health issues. And so tell us why you wrote the personal part of it and let us come in and be transparent enough to see that and, and that story. It's not just about Charity Water. It's about the story in your life that really developed Charity Water. Yeah. Well, look, I was the worst person I knew uh, at 28 years old. I had you know, rebelled from a very conservative Christian upbringing. There was a little bit of trauma in my childhood due to a, a, a freak accident, a carbon monoxide gas leak, and a bunch of health issues for my mom. And um, I had just walked away from faith, morality uh, at 18 to, to live this, this prodigal life. And I became a nightclub promoter and worked at 40 clubs over a decade and you know, found myself uh, addicted to drugs and drinking and gambling and pornography and, you know, a, a two and a half pack a day marble or red smoker. Um, and just kind of this degenerate, really. I mean, this hedonist. And I had this epiphany 10 years in, uh, into a, a career in nightlife that uh, I was a mess. I was rotting inside. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was morally bankrupt. I, I betrayed the moral heritage that I've been brought up with. I betrayed every shred of virtue. And if I didn't change, if I continued down this path, um, I'd probably die by the age of, of 40. Uh, and, and if I didn't, you know, I was certainly leaving 
perhaps one of the most meaningless legacies that a person could leave. Um, I just got people drunk every night. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't mean anything. You know, I was actually leading people <laughs> into drunkenness and debauchery. It was, it was I wasn't even just keeping it to myself. You know, I was right. I was kind of wrecking other people's lives. So I had a big change of heart, and and you know, I think, and then I obviously changed my life or we wouldn't be <laughs> having this conversation now. Um, and, you know, and I write about this as honestly as I can in the book and, and I quit everything and I sold almost every possession I had and, and tried to find the exact opposite of my life. And that led me to post-war Liberia on a Christian humanitarian mission. And I saw a bunch of just crazy stuff there. And um, among everything I saw came face to face with children dying because they were drinking bad water. Uh, children who were drinking from green swamps and ponds and rivers. And, you know, I'd been a guy selling $10 bottles of Voss water in nightclubs to people who wouldn't even open the water because they were drinking champagne or vodka instead. Wow. And uh, it, it was just one of those things I, I heard somebody describe it as a holy discontent. You know, it was, it was just yeah. not on my watch. You know, this is, kids are not going to be drinking dirty water on my watch if I could do anything about this. And that led to, the formation of the organization 12 years ago and, and this passion to see a day on earth when every single person has clean water to drink. Um, where, you know, today it's, it's 660 million people living without clean water. One in every 10 humans alive is drinking bad water simply because of the conditions they were born into. And the, the vision is that that number is zero, that, that there is no, you know, there is no book to write about the water crisis or about the solutions. So the thirst for me, it was, it was a double entendre. It was really about my search for meaning and for purpose. And I, I would hope that it might encourage people who might feel a little stuck or feel a little lost or, or feel maybe that the, their past mistakes defines them and is a block to them actually finding their purpose or, or, or living any sort of meaningful legacy. You know, the, the chances are you are not a fraction as bad as I won. <laughs> and, and I think that's why I, I go there, you know, because I, I want people to understand that it's never too late to change. No one's beyond redemption. And you can actually take all of that darkness and redeem it. I mean, all the things that I learned, um, you know, getting potentially a million people wasted over 10 years. Now we've invited over a million people to give. We were inviting them to a party. It's just a very different party. It's a party of radical generosity and compassion and empathy. And you know, it's a party where now 8.4 million people in 26 countries have clean water for the first time in their life. Amazing. So those same skills, I'm using the same skills that I was using back then, but just in a completely different direction with a completely different intention. Yeah, when I brag on you and I brag on you often, I tell people that you can trust Scott for many reasons, but one of which is he's he's tasted the world and there's there's not much there. And so you well, now you've tasted purpose and it's just and to see what y'all are doing is just phenomenal. I do want to ask about you. So you got this amazing purpose, you have this incredible organization, and then you also have a family. So how, how tell us about the balance act of that. For nine years, I worked with my wife. She was the second employee uh, of the organization. So that, that's the story for the book that uh, <laughs> probably take me too long to tell here and, and, and do justice to. But the, you know, that, that helped. So we were all in for the first, call it five years. And I'm a big fan of you know, work-life balance or integration and getting sleep and you know, not working too much. But, but in any startup endeavor, 
um, we were all in. It was 80 hours a week. You know, we were just fighting for oxygen. We weren't sure the thing was going to exist a month from now or three months right. from now or six months from now. So then you get to a point where, okay, wow, we made it. We're, we're still here five years later. And, you know, you start to shift a little more. Um, you start shifting your culture. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's, let's take weekends off. You know, let's, let's not send emails at 10 o'clock at night. You know, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, let's, let's kind of shift. So there were definitely these different speeds, I would say, uh, in the in the course of Charity Water. And then, you know, you also have a year where you go really fast and you're seizing an opportunity or you're you're diving back in. So, you know, now I'm I'm 43. I've got two young kids, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, my wife uh, did step down from Charity Water. So she's been home with the kids for the last couple of years. She's actually starting um, a small br- uh, online branding business herself in the next couple of months, um, a few days a week. And we just... I think we have a pretty good setup. You know, I live, I can walk to my house in seven minutes. The kids are starting to travel with me. Um, I had to be in San Francisco for a couple of weeks. They both came out. My son, you know, is jumping on a plane to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. And we're just going to go down and, and make a speech and, and hang out for, for 24 hours. And he's only four. So I think I have this, this vision of my kids coming with me, um, being involved in the work. They're in the office a lot. Uh, school is two blocks away, so it's we're just making it work with the travel and the the involving them in 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 the organization and the culture. Also, okay, well, selfishly, Scott, um, you know, I told you this before when you and I first met. You know, I have a two and a half year old, my first child, and so you're you're a year and a half ahead of me. Um, and I and I recently just um, went full time with myself about ninety days ago. So so for all the listeners out there, please forgive me for stealing the podcast for ninety seconds. Um, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm curious, it's just about you know what maybe some of those initial hacks, you know, that you and your wife maybe initially tried out, you know, with your first child, as you all kind of figuring it out, maybe, I mean, obviously now four years old can travel with you. Um, but just kind of curious, even here for some of the other people who might be in a similar life stage of just getting started, but I have a child and I know that wasn't exactly your story, but just want to hear any, uh, any other tips you might want to share with everybody there. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love being a dad. I love spending time with my kids and, you know, I, I, I think I'm, in a really, I have the luxury now of running an organization, you know, that, that isn't in fight for our life mode. I'm here at nine and I'm home by five forty-five. That's awesome. You know, and I'm leaving my house at eight fifty to be here and, you know, for a nine o'clock meeting. Now I'm also on the road 25% of the time and I'm working seven days a week when I'm away from my kids and I'm on that 6am flight home, you know, turning up on four hours of sleep to do the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we just wanted our kids to travel. So my son did 20 flights his first year of life and, and he was coming to Europe. He was coming, he was just with us. We just wanted to kind of say, this is, you know, rather because, because I'm going to be traveling. I've been to 69 countries now. Charity Water works in 26 countries. I've been to Ethiopia 30 times. Like so much of my job is on the road. So I could either be away from my kids or I could create a, you know, a dynamic where, Hey, we travel together as a family. And, you know, it's been really fun just designing some of those work weeks in California where I'll schedule five hours to go to the zoo in the middle of the day, Yeah, you know, put him to bed and then go out for a business dinner. So my, my dinners in New York don't take place until eight thirty or 9 PM. So I can do five, you know, 45 to eight, 
get a good solid two hours with the kids at night, give them the bath, read to them, pray with them, put them to bed and, and then go out, you know, for an eight thirty or nine o'clock dinner, you know, if I need to, to see a donor or, you know, go out with my team. So I think the biggest hack for me is not commuting, hmm. you know, having no time back and forth in a car. And that's, that's actually tough in the city. So we've traded, you know, we have a 1200 square foot apartment with two kids and yeah. You know, that, that would look like, that would translate to a house an hour outside the city, you know, in New Jersey or Long Island or, or upstate New York. But yeah. I'm, I'm unwilling to give those two commuting hours a day, Monday through Friday, back. Yeah, that's great. So that's probably my biggest thing is just, awesome. I won't commute. I'm living close to the office, even if it means we're, we're living in a much smaller place. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The, uh, the only other question I think I had, um, and this more pertaining to just what you're doing and, and how you're leading it. And, and, it's, and it's, you kind of alluded to this a little bit when, I mean, obviously I heard you speak at Plywood uh, this fall. And, and it was just for you, when you were on that, on that journey of exploring um, a different side and, and maybe an alternative life. And, and, and now, you know, you got to experience, you know, with your you know, firsthand and see, I guess the, uh, the negative effects of those who don't have water. But now that you're a little, a little removed from that experience, I can hear in your voice when, I, when I've talked to you, like the, the passion and the, and the vision, it burns just as strong and just as clear as it did 12 years ago. And I'm, I'm curious for those who are in, interested in, in doing something of meaning in, 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 in their lives, how do they sustain that level of passion? Because I can tell your team derives a lot of that from you, even though they might be passionate all on their own. So just curious how you keep that front and center as your life adds to children and, and you, and, and you want to, you know, do other things. I can tell you want this to happen still. So I'm just curious how you I keep that going. Um, connecting to the work is really important. So making sure that I'm in the fields at least two or three times a year. Um, those trips are shorter. You know, I used to love going away for three or four weeks when I was single uh, or, you know, when it was Vic and I. I mean, Vic, my wife's been to Ethiopia I don't know, 13 or 15 times now. So we, were, we would be able to travel together. Now those trips are five days. You know, I'm on a plane to Ethiopia. It's five days on the ground and it's back. But in those five days, I'm reconnecting with the need. I'm reconnecting mm-hmm. with the passion and the drive of our local drilling partners or, or the teams in Cambodia who are out there uh, building these bio sand filters. And I'm connecting with, uh, with the people that we've been able to help and, and with the hope and the, the prosperity that clean water brings. So that, that for me is really important. I need to be in the field. I need to be out there amongst the people and, and bringing those stories back to keep it fresh. Um, the other thing I think is just, it's fun to, it's fun to grow. It's fun to embrace these business challenges. Okay. How do we pivot to subscription? How do we use virtual reality? I mean, we, sh- we shot our first virtual reality film four years ago using eight GoPros that were attached to, you know, a stick basically. Mm-hmm. And we use that film to raise millions and millions of dollars. Um, we're experimenting with, we have teams working on blockchain and how the ledger might allow us to be more transparent with our donors. We have teams working on augmented reality uh, and the possibilities there. So it's, we're just excited at new ways to tell the stories, new ways to connect our donors, new ways to help more and more people, new ways to raise money, to build the movement, to build community. I don't know. Um, it just, I think it comes naturally. You know, I do write about the book where, around, I, I write in about burnout. There was a stage of burning out and I kind of 
write about why it happened, what I thought I learned from it, and then how I, I managed to escape it and kind of bounce back from that. But the last couple of years have just been really a, a lot of fun. Hmm. And it really is an extraordinary book and an extraordinary story. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the fact that you would allow us in to, just to hear your personal story and how that has impacted Cherry Water, it, it's, it's just great. And speaking of that, I, I'd love for you to help our community know what they can do to jump on board with the subscription model and also what we can do to help promote the book. Sure. Um, so the subscription is just, it, it's a really simple idea. And we said, look, we, we're, we're, we made it 10 years. We're in this for the long haul. At that point, we'd help 6 million people get clean water. And we just told the truth. We said, we need people to show up for us and to show up for people without clean water month in and month out, just like you show up for your Netflix, just like you show up for, you know, Spotify or Apple music. And we want you to give what you can. So if you're a college kid, could you give $10 a month? Could you give $30 a month enough to get one person clean water? Could you give $100 a month? We have businesses giving $1,000 a month and $500. And we just said, look, it's really about the consistency. That's what we need. And we will make a promise to you, spring members, if you show up for us faithfully, if you show up loyally, we will continue showing up, delivering stories of impacts. We will always use 100% of the money directly to help people get clean water. So we'll continue raising our overhead separately, which is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're going to make a huge, huge impact together. And what's cool is you know, the spring members are now giving 100,000 people, I think it's 100,000 people every couple months clean water now. Um, or it's actually it's 300,000 people a year just through that little community. And this wow. is, so this is, this has been growing and we're, we're just incredibly excited about that. And you know, you can, you, we, it's funny, we made a, an anniversary video, a 10th anniversary video to, to launch the spring and it was 19 minutes long and everybody said, Oh my gosh, Scott, you could never make a 19 minute web video. No one will ever watch anything that's 19 minutes. And people have the attention span of bumblebees these days, you know, a 30 second video is too long right? in, in today's age. And I'm like, well, I can't tell our story in 30 seconds and I can't make any meaningful emotional connection or do anything of impact in, in two or three minutes. So I said, we're going to make a 19 minute video. So we do. And we tell the charity water story and we talk about the need and we talk about our community and we launch it and it now has 11 million views. Amazing. So, you know, it's, it's working. And I think 17% of people that watch the film join the spring. Hmm. Yeah. So almost one out of five people is, is moved, gets it and, and jumps in. So people could just go to charitywater.org slash spring charitywater.org slash spring to watch the film, um, learn more about the community. Please do join us. My wife is a spring member. I'm a spring member. Um, we, we, we believe in this very much. The book, you know, I've, I, I'm not making any money off the book. So all of uh, my author proceeds, the advance, all that went to Charity Water. And uh, I'm really passionate about telling the story and, and I hope that it helps people. I hope that it helps people who might have a passion uh, for a social issue. I hope it might just help entrepreneurs who are trying to scale, who are running into hurdles, who are, are running out of money, having issues of culture or HR or, or product market fit. So people would just go to thirstbook.com, uh, thirstbook.com and learn more and love to share the stories with you. Now, Scott, one thing I noticed online was that if someone buys or pre-orders the book, 
then they have the opportunity to also contribute to Charity Water. Is that correct? Into a, into a project? They do. They, they actually do. So if they forward us their receipt, um, there's a donor that's paying $30 for everyone that pre-orders a book. Um, he put up 300 grand of his own money. Uh, he said, so the next 10,000 people that pre-order this book, I will pay $30 uh, and give one person clean water in their name because I really want this book to get out there. So that's, uh, yeah. So even if you know somebody gets it on Kindle for 13 bucks, just forward the receipts. Uh, all that information's on thirstbook.com. So it's an easy way to help. And those are the pre-orders, right? So what's the date that, that what, when's the launch date? Uh, it's October 2nd. So he's actually going to keep that going until it runs out. Okay. So, Great. so, so that's, uh, I think, I think we've unlocked about 80 grand so far. So there's 220 grand left. And Scott, I have to ask you this before we let you go. You guys do such a brilliant job on social media. When we were having breakfast together, I asked, how many are on your social media team? I was thinking it was some one, one person. <laughs> That's that's amazing, Any- and that's the that's the highest it's ever been, uh, and and actually that one person does some other things as well. Hmm. So, any tips, strategies that you could share with us? And then we'll, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of trust. In fact, there are four people right now who, on their phones, have access to two million people with the press of a button. Hmm. Um, there are four people in this organization that can tweet to 1.4 million people uh, on the Charity Water account. So I'm just a big believer that um, you trust people to do the right thing and um, you hire people. So even if they even if they messed up, right? Even if they tweeted from their personal accounts or thought they were, you know, tweeting from their personal account and tweeted from the Charity Water account, I wouldn't worry about it because I hire people who live out our values. And uh, and we would just say, oh, whoops, and delete the tweet. Um, without any issues. So I'm a big, I'm a big believer in giving people freedom, treating people like adults. And you know, I've seen some organizations have the, the 10 point clearance for anything to be posted. You know, there's this whole process and people have to sign off and that's just not our culture. Just yeah. uh, hire great people, trust them to, to do the right thing. Well, Scott, we are such big fans of yours. And for our community, October 2nd, big day, that's when the Thirst book comes out. And we'd love for you to pre-order the book so we can help leverage the opportunity that Scott has to raise additional funds. We would also encourage you to become a spring member. And you can go to, repeat the website again for us, Scott. Uh, You guys are so kind. Uh, Charitywater.org slash spring. Great. Kevin, this has been phenomenal. And uh, we're going to be cheering you on. And and then uh, Scott's going to be at Catalyst. So we'll hopefully uh, see you there, Scott. And uh, you... I can't wait. I think I'm going to bring my four-year-old. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. So Scott, I'm a big fan. Um, I mean, like I said, I I think think it it goes without saying, I think it's always cool to meet people you respect and admire. And then... They're better, better than advertised, and I, I mean, I, I said whether whether this makes it on the podcast or not. Um, I want to tell you directly because I think that we don't often get to hear um, how much people appreciate your sincerity as well as um, just your passion. So, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It was it was awesome chatting with you. Awesome. Okay. Well, folks, I'm going to jump in here because I'm going to throw one more thing in. So, Launch University, we're actually going to buy a copy of a book for someone. So on the launch day, so on October 2nd, you can look on our Instagram account that's managed by one amazing Jeff Henderson. And we're going to talk about this book and then you're going to jump in the comment section and win a copy. Now, I hope you do not wait to do that. 
because all you need to do is make sure that you get your copy beforehand. It's not worth waiting for. Uh, but at the end of the day, we do want to make sure that we do help someone uh, get a copy of this book because if that's where you are, if you find yourself, uh, like Scott said, just trying to figure things out in your life, maybe weighing a few options, um, we would love for you to have a copy of this book. I know we've had the, the luxury of having one in advance. Um, and so we want to make sure we start to pay that for by buying some copies for you. Um, you can also subscribe to this podcast. So if you go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you go for podcasts, you can subscribe to it. And guess what? All of the cool things you mentioned, the links we talked about as far as charitywater.org forward slash spring, uh, thirst book, that's all on the show notes. So if you're driving, if you're working out right now, don't worry about writing all that down. If you go to launchuniversity.com, you can get all of the, uh, the links and all the resources we talked about in today's podcast, along with some cool takeaways, some big nuggets that might be able to help you move forward if you weren't able to take notes wherever you were. Again, Scott, thanks for hanging out, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Launch University. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.